We need to go to the bullpen. Hello baseball fans from around the world and a warm welcome to the Highland Bullpen Baseball Podcast. It's the moment that we've waited all winter for. It's the return of Major League Baseball. And joining me today for a Highland Bullpen opening day special are Alan and Yorkshire Dave and we can't wait to get started. Well, it's the moment that all baseball fans wait all winter for. The return of Major League Baseball opening day when every team and every fan has a sack full of dreams and really believes this will be the year that their favourites can do it. And looking back through history, uh, about 100 years ago, 1923, uh, I thought there was a little bit there that was interesting for fans of of the Highland bullpen and particularly for our, our Red Sox, White Sox and Detroit Tigers fans. So 100 years ago, if history is any judge, the Detroit Tigers, which Alan will be pleased to hear about, had a stellar season. They were second only to the mighty New York Yankees in the American League. Less good news for our Chicago White Sox fan, Dave Jr., and our Boston Red Sox fan, Yorkshire Dave, because the White Sox were second bottom of the American League, did not have a good year. But the Boston Red Sox had an even worse one and trailed uh, they were kind of 30 games back uh, in the American League there. So a little bit of history. And in that season, it would be the Yankees who would go on to clinch the World Series by beating the New York Giants, one of a relatively few number of meetings in the World Series between those. So, Alan, first of all, a big, big welcome back to the Highland bullpen. And obviously, you're hoping the Tigers, <coughs> you're hoping that, that your Detroit Tigers are can have a season to rival that that they had 100 years ago. Yeah, there's a, no harm in being optimistic, Richard. Um, 100 years ago, well, I, I guess the nearest we've got to that, not quite 100 years, but uh, the the current Tiger legend, Miguel Cabrera, it's his final season uh, at, at bat with the Tigers, uh, winner of so many awards, so many accolades. Um and he he hangs up his uh, his gloves and his bat at the in in September at September 2023. I won't say October 2023 because I think there's got to be an element of realism <laughs> about the Tigers. Uh, there's a new uh, there's a new top guy in the Tigers here. Aliva obviously Avila obviously left the the Tigers. Um, so we're back in uh, with. Uh, um, the, the new chap, um, just get his name here, Scott Harris. That's the guy, the general manager. Um, 66 wins last year. We were just short of 100 defeats at 96. Uh, when you look at what the Tigers are putting out, um, quite rightly, they're making a big thing about Miggy's final season and they've got special events, special giveaways and what have you. Uh, I've probably now been following baseball for a few years now and just sort of see that with a sense of pride but also a sense of cynicism that, that this is what the Tigers goal is for this year to milk that situation to get as many people to come along uh, to celebrate something fantastic a fantastic career but it doesn't really feel like we've, we've built or made major changes for the, the season ahead 
I think the season ahead, probably what we're looking at is you've got the the the, the bat of the likes of Spencer Torgelson. Um, we've been waiting. He's he playing last year. Um, just waiting for him to to start hitting well, to start getting getting things going with the Tigers. Uh, he has obviously was a number one pick. The Tigers got him. We've we've had a few number one picks of late. So there's a few fantastic prospects like Torkelson there. But again, in the world of baseball, you talk about prospects only for so long. Um, also, Casey Mize, uh, and another pitching prospect there. But he obviously has been out for with the, the dreaded Tommy John surgery and also some uh, back surgeries. Not ready to be playing yet, but we've obviously got to be hoping that he's going to be coming back in uh, to play for the Tigers at some point this year as well. And we then start to get to a situation where the prospects start making a difference and, and we start seeing some progress. 2023 was disappointing because in 2022, we had improved quite a bit. Uh, we had seen better numbers up. So to go backwards in 2023 was a, was a big disappointment. And it's it's not what we want. You, you can't really go back, backward from 66 wins. Um, it's not like football where it's not inconceivable. Your, your team's getting pumped post weeks. Even the poorest of teams with decent pitchers will win a reasonable number of games. And 66 out of 162 is not an impressive statistic. Um, so the only thing I'm going to confidently state just now is we will not go backwards from that. <laughs> Thanks for that, Alan. Well, what you're looking for, Alan, is for somebody to have a season like uh, Harry Heilman did for those Tigers back in 1923, a Hall of Famer who hit, I think it was 403, I think, that season. I'll have to double-check that. But over 400 to a slug. Hailman, our four-time AL batting champion as well. So if anybody hits close to 400 for you this season, Al, you would be a very, very happy man, and Detroit fans would be universally shocked, I would imagine. 400 would be fairly impressive. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It was interesting. I was watching something. They were showing some uh, pictures from the the Shohei Otani, um, and somebody was making the point about you've got to start obliterating the records of the guys in the past because they didn't face pictures like that in the past. But I, I, I listened to these arguments with, with interest because I sort of think to myself that, that the batters have also become, in reality, progressively better through time as well. So um, 400 in, in any era, I think, is impressive. What One thing I did note for Miggy, um, I think he's something like, 25th in all-time hits in the MLB, actual number of hits. So someone was saying if he got 99 hits this year, um, that would take him up to like 15th in all-time, which is a pretty phenomenal achievement. Uh, and I was trying to think, nine, I was wandering around a golf course thinking about 99 hits and what that is, and I thought, well, in, in reality, he's not going to turn up at every game, I suspect. Uh, if he is, is he going to play is he going to be there for every every conceivable at bat? So you think if he has a hundred games, full games, and that's effectively getting ahead of game with three hundred and thirty-three, would that be the stats? Or roughly three hundred? I suppose it depends how often they get they get back round. But 
that would be a pretty impressive achievement. Um, gives them a big target to go up there, but it's uh, it, it's it's nice to see these targets. It's nice to maybe have something to to chase when we're not likely to be chasing any titles. But well done, Harry. You said it was a guy's name. Yep, hi, hi, Owen. Absolutely. I, mean, I have to say, when you said you were warning about a golf course, I thought you were going to say you'd taken 99 strokes, and that was like, or you'd given the ball 99 hits. <laughs> and that was what put you in mind of Mickey. And I was going to say, you usually do a little bit better on that on the, on the golf course. I believe yeah, I'll, that. I'll tell you what, I took in the back nine later, then yeah. <laughs> <laughs> great stuff, great stuff. And, and a good point you raised there. I think you're right. When we compare across eras, baseball's always been very good, I think, at finding ways to you know, keep that equilibrium, whether it's no it's tweaks to the rules and or, you know, little changes to the height of the mound, tiny changes to distances, changes to the ball, the bat, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think baseball's always been really, really good at finding that equilibrium to allow us to compare as much as you ever can greats from one era to another. And obviously Boston is a, a city that's had more than its fair share of greats over the years uh, in the field of baseball. So, Yorkshire, Dave, what are you thinking for this season? I know that last season was very much a damp squib uh, for the Red Sox. Does this season have the potential to be a firecracker? Well, we we all always live in hope, and uh, in Alex Cora, we trust that it's interesting that he should uh, mention 1923 Boston Red Sox um, finishing last. And, you know, my knowledge, Boston Red Sox and the, the early part of uh, baseball you know, it sort of <laughs> was that curse of um, the, the Bambino. You know, they had five World Series wins between 1903 and 1918. They sold Babe Ruth to New York Yankees in 1920. New York Yankees won their first, I think it was their first World Series in 23, and then proceeded to win another 26. And it wasn't until 2004 that the Red Sox won their sixth World Series. Um, they've won another three since then, so things, uh, things are looking good. But yeah, last season, last season was poor. There's probably a few good reasons for it. They had a losing record, 78-84, finished bottom of their division with, uh, you know, even the, the Orioles are on the up and uh, it's a tough division. Might be um, a little different this year with the, the sort of change of the schedule where they're going to play um i think every team is going to play each other in there over over the next season and there'll be fewer games um fewer divisional games so that might help teams that are in a, a you know a strong division yeah but i feel as though that the red sox should be able to handle being in the al east and, and after all in 2021 um they were two games off reaching World Series. So it was a bit of a fall from grace last year. Probably injuries didn't help very much. Chris Sale, um, you know, one of their top pitchers um, was injured again. Uh, Paxton didn't play. And um, the bullpen, you know, we all know the value of a good bullpen here at Highland Bullpen. And uh, that was a that was a bit of a um, an Achilles heel for them last year. They had the most blown saves of any team. I think they only converted 39 um, saves out of a possible 67 save opportunities. So uh, you've got to ask yourselves, you know, have they got a better lineup than they did last year? Well, they didn't re-sign Xander Bogarts, uh, much to the fans' uh, dismay. 
he, um, you know, been, could have, you know, if we'd have got him signed up to the deal that he's actually got with the Phillies, he could have been a one club man, you know, been with the Red Sox for nine or 10 years, won a couple of World Series, but he's gone. Um, uh, likewise, you know, I liked Kyle Schwarber, who we had uh, the year before, we decided not to go for him and he promptly became the NL leading home run hitter with 46 last year. But I have signed some interesting players. The positives would be Rafael Devers has signed an 11-year, 331 million contract, and he's only going to get better. You know, he's, he's still only 26. Um, Chris sailed there, we say. He's fit and raring to go. And it's a very interesting signing from the Japan uh, League. So I don't know if you noticed an outfielder, left fielder, Masataka Yoshida. And um, he's, um, he's, no, I think he's 29. So he's not a young player. He's played a lot in all his career in Japan. So there's a bit of a question about how he's going to, um, he's got a very good reputation for getting on base and being a good hitter. And um, he proved this in the classic with J Japan won basically the World Cup, didn't they, uh, the other day against USA. And in the tournament, he hit a record 13 RBIs. So I think he's one, one to watch. And going back to the, the saves issue, they've signed a closer. They haven't had an official closer since 2018, which was the last time they won the World Series. And they've signed a sort of veteran closer, Kenley Janssen, I'm sure, typical <laughs> for Red Sox, you know, he's got, you know, he's in the 300 saves club. But um, with these new rules on the pitch clock, he has been caught as the slowest pitcher. Also, he's got a lot of work to do on speeding up. But I think uh, I think the signs are good in spring spring training. So I, I think there's a lot of lot of positives. They've signed a few veteran players. Um, Justin Turner from the Dodgers, Kenley Jansen was from the Dodgers as well. And that's, in fact, they will reunite with um, Kike Hernandez. There'll be three players from the Dodgers 2020 um, World Series winning team. Um, we've lost, uh, yeah, and when they play in August, uh, JD Martinez, the age for last, last year, last few years at Red Sox, has gone to. Um, the Dodgers, so he will hook up with Mookie Betts. So that will be an interesting series in August um, at uh, at Fenway. So I I think sort of conclusion wise, you know, being a bit unlucky, they let Xander Bogarts go. He's the he's the shortstop. Um, I think they probably felt that they couldn't offer, you know, sort of. 30 million a year for him or whatever, and Devers as well. And they were expecting to um, Trevor Story to move over to, to shortstop, but he's just undergone surgery, might be out for might be out for the whole season. So they've had to do um, you know, have to make a few trades and they've had a bit of bad luck there, but it it happens. I'm gonna say I'm I'm hopeful. I expect to as to return to back to winning ways and you know we convert those save opportunities we've got a lot of good left-handed hitters so hopefully we'll have a much better record at Fenway this year and I think they might just sneak into a, a wild card spot 
Well, that seemed a positive prediction there, uh, Yorkshire Day. Thank you very much. And we'll be keeping a, a close eye on the fortunes of the Fenway Park outfit. So, yeah, I guess for me, I'm in a really strange position here being positive about the Mariners, uh, given the season they had last year. But I'm also in the strange position of saying the stats do lie. You know, I know people like to say the stats don't lie, but because the Mariners finished last season with exactly the same record, the same regular season record as they had the season before, 91-72 defeats. But it was clearly a season of progress for them. And not just because they ended up breaking their kind of postseason hoodoo uh, and getting into that, you know, getting into that into that postseason action, but it was there. Uh, yeah, it was the development of the young players. You know, Julio Rodriguez, particularly, obviously having a standout season. But you could really see us being a franchise on the up, and you've got to hope there isn't that kind of sophomore curse, if you like, that a lot of these guys that demonstrated so many so many qualities over the last season can can continue to do that. Uh, I think the key will be just getting those few more runs out of the backs because that was probably what kind of undid us in the end. You know, there was some strong pitching pretty much all through, but in some games we just weren't finding the runs. I mean, you start coming up against the best teams who are going to score a few no matter how good your pitching is, then you need to find ways to get more runs from the backs. So I think they've traded well. I think bringing in, you know, Teoscar Hernandez, right field's a good move and I, again will help a bit in terms of run uh, creation and uh, switched up second baseman as well, as well Colton Wong has come in as well and we've still got you know got a strong pitching base uh, Robbie Ray Luke Steele and stuff like that so yeah I'm feeling genuinely positive and actually so positive that I'm going to say the Mariners are going to win the American League West and topple the mighty Astros and I also think if they can do that, and I, and I do think it's, you know, the Astros have, yeah, they've, they've done some good work, but also losing a few people. Altuve is out with a broken thumb that's going to keep Altuve mm. out for the last couple of, of months, and that's a big loss for them. They've lost Justin Verlander, obviously, free agent, departed as a free agent. So there's maybe cracks there. And I think if the Mariners can get, you know, closer to the 100 wins if they can end up less being a 96, 97, 98 win season. I think the Astros might struggle to win, you know, quite as many uh, as they did last season. I think they could well finish under 100 in terms of the wins as well. So I think we can get very close to them. And if we can get close and finish ahead, obviously, would be amazing. You've instantly proven you're good enough to win a World Series because the Astros have proven repeatedly that they are good enough in recent seasons to win the World Series. So it would be a huge step forward, both in terms of the American League West, but also the confidence that would give us. So if we, if we get closer, I would take that. Closer and make the playoffs, I would take in a heartbeat. But yeah, I also genuinely believe the Mariners have got a live shot. If they kind of if things fall their way, if they get the breaks with injuries. If Julio Rodriguez continues to develop into one of the best stars we've seen, one of the most amazing baseball players for, for several years, for many years potentially, then yeah, we could absolutely, we could get there and, and, and get that American League West and claim claim top spot. But uh, I don't know, Al, I don't know if, if you reckon I'm maybe just kind of very, uh, a bit too excited at the only being hours away from that first pitch. What do you reckon? I'm, I'm pleased to see your excitement. Uh, I I, I need to find a place where I can get into that then as well. Uh, be, being a Detroit sports fan, uh, everything seems to be a struggle and far away. So it's good. It, it's what a fan should be seeing at the start of a season. It's one of the things I think is attractive about baseball as well, that 
compared to European football leagues, uh, lots of teams are going in with chances of winning their own divisions. I know there's only five, four or five teams in the divisions, but I think that that's actually a positive. I think that's a good thing to see. And I think it, it then means that you, you've probably got 40 to 50%, maybe a wee bit more of fans that are actually thinking, well, we, we should go on and win a division. So I think that's absolutely fantastic. I, I, I wanted to ask one thing, of, and, and Dave might know, he mentioned the, the, the Japanese lad coming to the Red Sox as well. And we've obviously, as relatively new into baseball, there's always a few players from Japan, and Japan have just won the World Baseball Classic, um, I guess, showing that ultimately their, their players are the best. But is this a fairly recent thing that we're seeing the addition of players from Japan coming into the, the Major League Baseball, or has it been something that's been going on for a wee while? Yeah, well, I'm just trying to remember. I think uh, the Mariners have one of the all-time great yes. um, players, don't they? Who's um, I'm sure, I'm sure Richard will will, will know will know the chap's name. I just can't remember whether he came from the Japan League or is just uh, you know someone from Japanese heritage who's come up through the American system. So. I wouldn't. I wouldn't know, and that's one of the things that's um, not criticism of um, Boston spending a lot of um, a lot of money. They've given the given them a really amazing contract, um, which yeah, five yeah five years, um, ninety million. And uh, you know, some people are saying, well, you know, he's a great looking player in the Japan leagues, but he's going to be facing really the best pitchers in, in the world every game. And um, the, some people have got question marks against that. I feel as though it looks like he's kind of proved himself already in the classic. And uh, yeah. he, could, he could be tailor-made for Fenway as well and a clever, clever batter. But doesn't really answer your question, but um, yeah, we'll just, look just into that as the season goes on. Yeah, it was just something I was interested in. I, I, again... With, with football, we've been used to, or we, we've seen over the last 10, 20 years, the, the movement of players 20 years ago, 30 years ago, we were seeing a lot of English players moving to Scotland and started more movement around the UK and what have you. Scottish players have always done well and, and flourished down in England, but then we started getting Europeans and now it's an international sport. So I'm assuming baseball is, is similar, but Richard, I don't know if you... Yeah, I know. You, you, I think you're right there, Alan and uh, Yorkshire David Sachiro Suzuki, who you're That's thinking of, who of them from the Mariners, who was an absolute yeah standout and very much a kind of trailblazer. Because I think prior prior to that, you know, there'd been Japanese pitchers who'd, who'd come over and done well, uh, and the Mariners as well, actually. Uh, you know, like Hideo Nomo and Hideki Arubu. Mm. But I think there was a theory, and it was proved wrong by Ichiro Suzuki, that they would struggle with the quality of pitching. In Major League right. Baseball. Mm. So the thoughts were, yeah, they can pitch, Japanese pitchers can be good. We know, we can see the numbers, the stats, the velocity. We can get a sense. But there was a, a probably a misguided, maybe a bit of a jingoistic thing going on there. Uh, the idea being that it's unlikely they'd be able to replicate that success. Uh, right. on, the other side, on the other side of the, you know, the plate, uh, but actually 
you know, they have, and, and Otani obviously is a phenomenon. But yes, I think you're seeing that in there. From a football point of view as well, I know we occasionally drop in a lot about Scottish football, but my Scottish team has enjoyed an awful lot of success bringing players from, from Japan as well. Uh, so yeah, in, in the world of football now, certainly in, this, in, the, in the Scottish corner of the world of football or soccer, uh, yeah, but they've certainly seen a big influx of Japanese. And and I think that the significance, and I don't offhand know how often, you know, that Japan has been successful against the US in, in that contest, but it strikes me as a fairly remarkable achievement. You know, yeah. obviously it's a real testament to the quality and the, the skill of the players playing the baseball in Japan, which obviously is another country that loves baseball a great deal. Apologies to my friends for bringing up Japanese sportsmen and allowing Richard to bring that into the conversation as well. <laughs> yeah, well, funnily enough, uh, I didn't see the, the final. I was intending to try and keep tabs on, on the classic, and I did to a certain degree, but it was only sort of afterwards that uh, I saw that the, the final play was, and there's no point intended here, a showdown between the two greatest players um, in, in the game, and it was uh, Johanny. I think, pretty sure, pitching to White Trout. And uh, he got the last out. I think he was acting as closer. He can pretty much do anything. So, um, yeah, that's a statement in it's, itself as well. Because uh, USA were going for back-to-back classic wins, I think, weren't they? Didn't they win the last one? So, And the, the, they all spoke very passionately about representing the country. And, uh, yeah, I think, by all accounts, it was a pretty... You know, really good quality uh, tournament. So uh, yeah, it's good to see. I mean, there's so many players from even Great Britain got in the, got a couple of wins, didn't they? Well, who's the, who's the guy that Harrison Ford, marvelously named Harrison Ford, who's uh, plays for, for for Great Britain, and he he's in the MLB. So even we've got a couple of guys in the in the frame. Yeah, would, would Harrison Ford be good at hitting a solo home run, do we reckon? Then, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it's great to see. Uh, obviously, we are baseball fans from a very a very international flavour, uh, but it's just great to see the sport, you know, and, and it's, uh, its popularity across the continents as well. So, no, it's been fantastic to see. And I guess that takes us nicely to the notion of, travel and going different places and continents and all the rest of it there. Uh, the the Highland bullpen is a travelling bullpen, and I, and I believe, uh, I don't know who'd like to speak first, but you guys have had various trips of late, really, and there's a baseball, uh, a baseball chat to come from those. Yeah, I'm quite happy to take the first part on that one, Dave. Um was lucky enough that uh, we trip over to Florida, uh, in March um, and managed to get myself along to a couple of spring training games. Um, it's possibly fair to say the trip might have been arranged with with that in mind, but uh, uh, you would need to work that one out for yourself. So the, the Tigers based their spring training. They're, they're part of the the league that play in, in Florida. Half the teams are in Florida and half are in Arizona. Um, spring training, I, I had worked it out before I went, but I think for a lot of non-baseball fans might think, well, are you turning up and watching guys training? But spring training, again, to get an analogy we would be more used to, it's effectively a month of pre-season friendlies uh, where you're playing a pre-season friendly every day. 
is the cactus in the grapefruit league now grapefruit league i'm assuming will be florida and the cactus league over in arizona uh i haven't actually checked to see if there's winners of these i've not seen anyone talk about winners of these um but in, in essence you've got half the teams on one side uh in, in, in one hot area of the country and half in the other florida obviously a le- bit less humid a bit less dry perhaps than we would be used to there so lakeland tiger town is about 50 minutes out of orlando so it's an easy drive out there um went to a couple of games uh again picked deliberately went went see the orioles the the time suited but obviously uh my man daz cameron uh, formerly the detroit tigers is at the orioles now he's not and one one of the main guys there, but as in good spring training tradition, he did turn up and came on as a as a substitute. So I was sat there with my my dad's Cameron branded Tigers top, whilst he had the his number forty one Cameron top for the Orioles. And in his first at bat, he was hit by pitch. Um, now uh, <laughs> I don't think there was anything. I'd like to think there was nothing sinister about that, but. Uh, there was certainly one Tiger fan in attendance who wasn't wasn't too happy about it. <laughs> um, it, it they're, they're good. They're reasonably competitive games. People want to see their team win. But I think when you get to fifth, sixth innings, they do effectively start becoming what we would be used to in preseason friendlies, that they're making lots of changes. Quite rightly, they're giving everybody a chance to get out there and bat and pitch and see what, what, what happens next. Um, in fact, the second game I went to was the Yankees uh, and Spencer Turnbull. Uh, so a uh, favourite of the, the Highland bullpen is Turnbull as well. Uh, he was pitching for the Tigers. I can't remember if he got into the second innings. He wasn't taken out through because he was struggling. I think he was effectively that was part of his his rehab, his preparation for getting ready. And in those type of games... They're quite happy having seven, eight guys coming in and pitching a, an innings each. Um, we we do seem to have a tendency of games I go to of ending up at tied games. And, and the Yankees-Tigers uh, game looked like it was going to be tied until the, the evil ones scored a ninth inning run, which took uh, extended, which saw them win the game. Uh, there is no extra innings in spring training. They, they actually tie games uh, if they want to as well. But we like competitive games. I did enjoy it. We don't see an awful lot of baseball um, li- li- living over here. But Florida was a nice place to sit and watch baseball. Um, it was reasonably priced. Uh, the, the first game of the Orioles, I picked... Managed to get seats, which were probably pretty much in line with home plate, uh, to the right of home plate, um, 20 seats up in the stand. I actually had a fantastic view of pretty much every piece of action going on. Uh, the, the Yankees game I chose um, out by third base. Um, uh, and it was good. I wanted to see what the atmosphere was like down there i wanted to see what it was like um you, you you're you're near the players and what have you just a little bit harder to sort of get full appreciation of when the 
the ball's been hit where it's going and such like. So always good experience. I don't I don't know if Dave's been to a few games as well, and I think he'll talk about his upcoming trip just now as well. But um, I'm at that stage where I like sort of trying to work out uh, what's the right place to go and sit and what's the best place to go and sit when. Once you can get your head around MLB prices, Dave. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it sounds like a great trip. And uh, we have a mutual friend who's um, been out to see yep. spring training with with Boston. And I did watch a couple of games, actually. And uh, the the park out there is almost like a, a you know, sort of mini Fenway Park, complete with Green Monster, and it, you're right, it does look a fantastic uh, time to go and enjoy a game of baseball. Yeah, it might not be as super competitive as as when the season starts for real, but you get a you get a chance to see some of your fringe players, and um, you, you know the pitchers uh, will not pitch. You know they'll pitch a couple of innings each. So yeah, I, I think it would. I think it sounds like a great trip. Um, we haven't been to Boston for a long time. You know, as I think we've said before, this is a, a Boston sports household. And we're flying out on the 3rd of April. And uh, primarily, we're going to take in a couple of Boston Bruins games in the NHL. And they're coming towards the end of their season. Um, I think they've got nine games to go, and Boston Bruins are enjoying could end up being one of the great seasons of all time in the sport not just for the Bruins, they have already qualified for the playoffs and they've already won their division uh, with nine games to go. <laughs> it's absolutely phenomenal um, what they've done. They're 22 points ahead of their nearest rivals, the Toronto Maple Leafs, no, <clears throat> no less. And um, that's, uh, I think that's the first game we're going to, we're going to see. Um, so... You know, looking forward to that. We've got we're going to see two games. I think on the sixth and the eighth. And the first one we've really splashed out, and we're going to be right near the front. I think it's quite near the, the penalty box, which is usually pretty busy. I think at one time they were trying to sort of um, uh, stamp out. Is that the right? Not the right word. A violent play, but that doesn't seem to be the case. It's definitely. Um, I think I think Alan, you were watching a game weren't there, and there was a fight before the the puck had actually hit the ice in the. Uh, yeah, as a Boston. Yeah, it was. So yeah, we go see um, Boston play the Leafs on Thursday the sixth, and then Saturday the eighth of April it's the New Jersey Devils. So uh, they don't come cheap these seats, but they, they are the budget seats at the back <laughs> because we splashed out for the first game. And then, sort of fortuitously, the end of the NHL season combines nicely with the start of the um, MLB season. And um, we've got tickets for two Red Sox games, which both against the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates. So the day after we arrive, which is <laughs> my birthday, the day I officially become a senior citizen of, uh, of the United Kingdom, no less, and um, yeah, we're gonna go see them play um, a night game. I think yes, versus the Pittsburgh Pirates. And uh, the day after, it's um, an afternoon game, one thirty-five p.m. first pitch. So it's a sort of a UK friendly time. And if you're watching, 
and there's any action on the green monster, you might see Lorraine and I sat in the green monster seats right at the front. So, God, I hope the ball doesn't come anywhere near me. <laughs> I don't know what I'll do, I'll probably mess it up, but uh, we're very excited about that. So, of course, I'm constantly checking the uh, the weather forecast because uh, we have experience. So, rain ops. Yes, we do, we do, we do. Um, so, anyway, it would take a lot to uh, to postpone uh, an NHL game because they're indoors, obviously. So, uh, yeah, but it would be different to spring training. We've watched, we've watched games around this time of year before in Chicago and New York. And, um, you know, although it's officially springtime, you know, um, it can be it can be pretty cold. So uh, we'll be taking a, a variety of, uh, of seasonal clothing with us. So really looking forward to that. It's going to be great. So be good to report back sometime yeah. after that and uh, let you know how we got on. Yeah, good. I, I actually did a hockey game in the Florida trip as well, the, the Florida Panthers and the, the Vegas Golden Knights. Um, I didn't realize they actually they they miss out the last Vegas and that, but I guess that's they, they've seen more sense than the LA Angels, haven't they? The, the, <laughs> the Angels, Angels. So there, there was a there was a fight in the game, um, not not over the fact it was nineteen dollars a beer, but actually the guys on the ice were were fighting, and genuinely the crowd got excited and got up for it, and I I, I still find it fascinating. That the punishment for fighting is like the two minutes in the sin bin, which is pretty much the same as any other penalty there as well. Now there you go. You, I know it's against the rules, but you've effectively got a sport where where fighting is pretty much accepted as that's just like normal, normal. Yeah, I think there are sort of um, probably are written rules, but there are also unwritten rules about it and. You'll see the rest will just stand apart and let them go at it. You know, I don't think they want to step in for fear of, you know, getting them to get a loose punch themselves. Yeah. But um, I think when when one guy goes to the ice, that's when they stop in because, you know, you, if they're just having a square go and the helmets come off and the gloves come off, they'll let them go out for, you know, a few seconds. And uh, the fans, the fans genuinely do love it. And, there's, you know, there's something about building a team around it as well. I think, you know, especially if the, you know, if one of the sort of maybe new guys gets picked on, next thing you'll see is one of the experienced guys will go in hard on the boards and they'll be, you know, so uh, it's, 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 yeah, it's a great game and I'm looking forward to that very much. Had a quick look at the standings there. So 11 losses and five overtime losses this season. It's a, a phenomenal record. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. The um, well, I think it's a really good rule because if um, if it's uh, yeah, if it's tied after the end of the third period, then they do go to overtime and they will go to a you know penalty shootout. But as soon as it's tied, each team will get one point each, yes, and the the winner gets the extra points. So um, it's not like in in other games where sort of winner takes all. Um, I, I think that's quite a good rule. So you, you have tied it and you get the extra point for the win in overtime. Yeah. I, I'm, it's a rule I'm a fan of. I didn't quite understand it until the last couple of years, but the more 
again, we've said this before, the more we delve into American sports, the more you actually see there's so, so many clever things they do. And the, the last comment I'll make was tonight, I think, was the Richard's um, point about baseball tweaking the rules and making small changes as they go along. Uh, and they've they've equalized the game and they've kept the game interesting, competitive. In the world of golf, there's a massive fuss just now because they're proposing um, limiting the golf ball for pro the professional game. And people are saying, oh, this, this isn't right and what have you. And amateurs can still use the super golf balls. But it, it makes so much sense. P people are hitting 400-yard drives. Um, par fives are 550 yards and guys have got wedges in for their second shot. Um, that's not golf as we know it. Uh, and, and I think golf has potentially created a problem for itself by waiting so long to actually make changes like this. Um, so, yeah, pat, pat on the back for, for MLB. Absolutely. That's an interesting point about the golf. I guess that's an easier solution than trying to regulate what clubs people use and stuff, Alan, I guess. I, th I think clubs would potentially be the the next thing that they would want to or they would want to work on but it's probably a bit harder to manage um yeah i know people do use different balls but people, there's a wider variance in the in the equipment and the clubs they use so uh yeah no i think it's um i, I think it's a good it, it's a good move and a sensible move and i think as well it's it, it's clever that we're not really being forced as amateurs, because yeah, if I had a good drive, it's going 250 yards. Isn't that that's not really changing the course in any way for me. That's just uh, once every few rounds you feel good about yourself, and that's probably what what the golf companies want, that rather than me pulling golf courses apart. Yeah, I'd need the opposite thing rather than like just going to a standard ball that everybody uses. I need some kind of special ball that directs itself. The way that it was meant to go, because certainly no chance to get there as a, a result of any of my shots, Alan. But it's uh, a good solution, and, and I can see the value for golf and brings it in line with sports like baseball, where the ball is standard, yeah. made by you know like a company and, and produced the, the hundreds and thousands of them every single year. And we'll be seeing baseballs are plenty flying over over the fences every single baseball stadium in MLB this season. We can't wait for opening day. It's going to be another fantastic season. Just before we sign off, what we'll do is we'll get your predictions, guys, just for the opening the opening series that our teams are facing. So I think, Alan, yourself, the Tigers, obviously you're suitably uh, humble with your ambitions for the Tigers, but they start off with a three-game se uh, series against the Rays. Uh, obviously, you're talking about Florida earlier on there. So they kick off with a three-game three series against the Rays what you're hoping for or what would you like to get away with from those three games? The, the weather will be nice, although, again, it's an in, indoors stadium. Uh, look, looking at how the Rays are, you would not be expecting a Tigers series win. So it's, it's a three-game series, I think, isn't it? So, yeah, let, let's make sure we pick up a, a W and get one on the board before we start heading back to Detroit. That seems reasonable enough. And Alan, I know you mentioned you'd seen the Orioles there on your trip. Any tips or any advice for 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 Yorkshire Dave and for his Red Sox? Because that's who the Red Sox come up against first off a three game series against the Baltimore outfit. Well, the Tigers beat them in spring training, Dave. So that's the the, the target you've got. Um, 
so yeah, um, yeah, and, and, and a nice looking team, nice jersey, nice. Um, they, they have unique coloured jerseys as well, which is something we always enjoy in the bullpen as well. <laughs> Yorkshire, Dave, you feeling optimistic about those opening outings? I think it's an important series that the first one, isn't it? Because uh, obviously, as I said, uh, the Orioles, um, uh, you know, finished pretty well last season and they're ahead of the Red Sox. So, you know, it could be a little bit of a statement. It's at Fenway, um, three game series, and then followed by another three game series against the Phillies. So, what I'd like to see out of that is, is win the series. You know, to, I would be happy with two, two one wins there. And that would be, uh, you know, the starting, starting pitchers um, will be Corey Kluber, who's a veteran, two-time Cy Young winner, but just signed for one season. So he will play, um, start the opening season, and then Chris Sale. So pretty strong uh, first two games. So, yeah, I'd like to see, you know, two two one win uh, minimum there in both series. And uh, that that would give a little bit of encouragement to the Red Sox fans who are not 100% happy, shall we say. Never are, but... Uh, <laughs> Surely not. Unhappy Red Sox fans. <laughs> who would have thunk it? Uh, well, for, for my Mariners, we're up against the Cleveland Guardians, first off, in a really strong pitching contest to begin with. We'll have Louis Castillo going up against uh, Shane Bieber uh, for the Guardians as well. So that'll be a, a really interesting kind of pitching match up there but yeah you know you've, you've, I, put, I put it all on the line I'm looking for the Mariners to win a division and be World Series contenders so if you're going to do that kind of thing if you're going to hit 100 wins you're going to have to get your foot in the accelerator right from the opening day so we will see what happens but we'll wish our Red Sox White Sox Tigers and Mariners success on opening day for all of you and for all of your teams wherever you are we wish them all the best for another fantastic MLB season until next time this has been the Highland Bullpen Pen.